0: frequency podcast network wants to keep you safer online that's why they've teamed up with telus online security with data breaches becoming more and more common it's important to know if your personal information has been compromised fraudsters can use your stolen data to attempt to open new accounts rent or buy properties and do other fraudulent activities in your name check to see if your personal info has been exposed try a free dark web scan brought to you by telus online security powered by norton visit telus.com dark web No one can prevent all cybercrime or identity theft. Conditions apply. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Okay, let's get this out of the way first. Yes, you can get rich investing in cryptocurrency and non-fungible tokens. It is possible lots of people have done it, but not as many as have lost money chasing the dream. Would you know that though, from the way it's sold to you in these commercials? They calm their minds and steal their nerves with four simple words that have been whispered by the intrepid since the time of the Romans. Fortune favors the brave. Does that idealistic portrayal mean that crypto is a scam? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that anyone watching big-name athletes and actors and dreaming about investing needs to go in with their eyes wide open. Because for a supposedly super-secure form of currency, there sure are a lot of ways to get it stolen hackers have stolen about $3 million worth of Bored Ape NFTs. A whopping $3.2 billion worth of crypto was stolen last year. We're back with a wild story involving allegations of multi-billion dollar theft, cryptocurrency, and a years-long FBI search. Does the general public understand this space enough to put their money into it? Does it need to be regulated? Doesn't that defeat the whole purpose? And if you are going in with eyes wide open, what do you need to know to avoid your money ending up in someone else's wallet? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Jacob Silverman has written about cryptocurrency in the New Republic. He is currently writing a book about the subject. Hello, Jacob. Hi, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Excellent. I want to start today by establishing a baseline for the people who end up victims of crypto scams. I guess what I'm looking to figure out is how much do people generally know about how crypto and NFTs work before they dive into the market these days?
1: Well, I think it it varies, certainly. And you have, I suppose, a lot of what you might call uninformed consumers entering the market. But I think what's important to to say here and to sort of frame it is that people don't have access to good information. Right. So, you know, there's a, there's a phrase that I like to make fun of a little bit actually in crypto D Y O R do your own research. And that's sort of the universal warning that people give before you uh, buy some token or invest in some NFT project or whatever it might be. But that's the, that's, points at a fundamental problem in crypto, which is that the information out there isn't good uh, so or always accurate. Um, even, you know, t- uh, projects are run by anonymous or pseudonymous people. You don't always know their history. You don't know who the insiders are who might be profiting off of the debut of a token. So I think the issue is that people who are buying in, even on supposedly reputable platforms or regulated exchanges, they don't always have the right information to make an informed consumer choice the way we would hope in any other kind of market. And so that's, I think, one of the things that people don't understand is that even if you are a careful and research-driven person, you might not be going into this with uh, with the right information that you can use to make uh, informed and healthy decisions.
0: Before we talk about the ways this can go wrong, maybe summarize the pitch uh, that people, informed or, or not, um, are getting to jump into the marketplace. Like looking, looking on the positive side. Sure. Uh, why should someone like me go out and buy some crypto?
1: Right. Well, uh, you'll have to pretend I'm playing a character here, but the idea is really that you know the markets in general have uh, not seen a lot of growth in recent years, uh, except for sort of the when a lot of money was pouring in during the pandemic but here's your best speculative investment opportunity bitcoin has supposedly outperformed every other asset if you consider bitcoin a real asset uh, over the last decade or so so the the you know the, the chance to strike it rich is basically what attracts people, and you know, I, I describe crypto often as a get-rich-quick scheme, and I don't necessarily even mean that in a bad way. It's just that's what it is generally. I mean, some people say they see other things in it, or they're there for other reasons, but really, the the sales pitch is that hey, this is an easy way, perhaps, to make some money uh, just by being early to the market.
0: The one thing I want to get straight as we begin here is the security of cryptocurrency, because when I first started hearing about it, and again, I should uh, clarify, I don't own any, I'm very skeptical of it, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but I want to look at it from a non-biased point of view. When I started hearing about it and hearing that people should invest— one of the selling points was the security of it. You know, it can't be tracked. Nobody can steal it, et cetera, et cetera. And now, as I've heard more and more about it, it seems like I'm hearing about an awful lot of hacks or scams. And so just how secure is is a crypto wallet if I want to put money in it?
1: I, I would say probably not that secure. I mean, it depends on your perspective. There is a tremendous amount of of hacks and scams and just uh, what some people call social engineering, which is basically manipulating people into clicking on something that they shouldn't or giving away a, a password or key piece of information. Um, so there's a lot of that kind of thing.
0: So where did the reputation for security come from in the first place?
1: I think that is what they strive towards. I mean, the idea behind cryptocurrency in general is that you have what they call censorship-resistant money. So you can you can send a, a unit of value or money to anyone you want. No government, no person can stop you. Um, but when you really... Dig down into the tech itself and into how this stuff plays out in practice. It's not that secure. One reason is there's no way to reverse mistakes. I mean, that's what, what these are. What are called immutable uh, append-only ledgers, meaning like Bitcoin. You can only add to it. You can't reverse something that uh, in a, bri- a Bitcoin transaction. So, if you accidentally click on the wrong thing, or you you know enable a permission for an NFT that you're not supposed to, then it's very easy to to lose your stuff and have n- pretty much no recourse.
0: You mentioned a couple of them in your last answer, but maybe give me a couple examples of the typical crypto scams that your average person who's, you know, put a couple thousand bucks uh, into Bitcoin or some other, uh, some other, see, I don't even know the lingo, uh, <laughs> <laughs> into some other cryptocurrency might fall prey to.
1: Sure, Uh, a classic one is known as a rug pull. A rug pull is when you buy into a project, an NFT or a token, and the person in charge of the project, who's often synonymous or going by some handle, uh, just simply walks away with the money. Sometimes they close down the project or practically announce the rug pull. That happens all the time, especially uh, on some NFT projects. Uh, Other ones are sort of social engineering. Basically, people act like they're helping you and they manipulate you into giving away information And I know lots of people this has happened to, people who are very smart. Uh, you know, one, I really tr- don't blame people for being defrauded or scammed in this industry because it, it's very easy for it to happen and there are a lot of people looking to do it so that might mean someone on a Discord chat or usually some social media chat room will say, oh hey, let me help you fix that issue you're having with your wallet just give me this little piece of information and you may not know that that's a key piece of information uh, so th- those are ways uh, I mean, you have people behind the exchanges in, in some very notorious cases who have s- stolen millions from the, the, the exchanges Um, There's a recent case against someone named Arthur Hayes who had stolen, uh, I believe, tens of millions of dollars. So unfortunately, there's a proliferating variety of ways to be defrauded, but those are definitely some of the standard ones.
0: I almost just stopped you at rug pull because that doesn't even seem like a scam. <laughs> like, it's just you take somebody's money and then don't deliver. And in this world, there is absolutely no recourse for that. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Pretty much. I mean, what, what we're finding as time goes on is that, you know, despite the ethos of decentralization and permissionless uh, sort of uh, censorship-resistant money that everyone talks about, Sometimes the institutions will step in, so especially in, in major criminal cases. But you know, sometimes uh, a platform or an exchange might freeze some money or account, and they might be able to do that. But in general, yeah, if it leaves your wallet, you you almost have no recourse to get it back except the kindness of the person who stole it from you
0: how wild can these scams get? And I ask you this because uh, you've written, in a little bit of detail anyway, the story of Heather Morgan and her husband, Ilya Lichtenstein. Is that his name? What do they do?
1: Well, that's a really interesting one. Uh, it's still in progress, but it's a its a great colorful story. I'm sure it's going to be a movie. Um, so the two of them were kind of influencer types in their late 20s, uh, professionals in, in New York. I think they had day jobs, but Somehow they came into possession of almost 120,000 Bitcoin that was stolen from a company called Bitfinex. Bitfinex is a major crypto exchange. Um, it has a lot of other issues that I won't get into, but it has a history of, of hacks and theft. It's also the, the sort of sister company of what's called Tether, which is a very important cryptocurrency and has a lot of other issues associated with it. But anyway, somehow they came into all this uh, Bitcoin uh, probably around 2016 after the hack occurred. There's a lot of suspicion that you know these two don't exude competence or master criminal sort of behavior hmm. so there's a lot of suspicion that they were sort of the bag people uh, and they were holding on to the money they were able to move a little bit of it but you know by the time they were arrested last year or earlier this year that uh, the amount of bitcoin that they had was worth several billion dollars on, on the open market it would be worth a little bit less oh, wow. now but their case is also very funny because, yes, uh, Heather, who sort of seems to be the mastermind, she uh, went, went by the name Razzlecon and it was a rapper and the, there are rap videos online that she created and there's they're almost so awkward and kind of cringe-inducing that you have to wonder if she's parroting something. But unfortunately, I think they're real. And the, there are a few all, other kind of strange things about them. Why were they living so much in the open? And also, frankly, if you're in possession of of potentially billions of dollars of stolen crypto, why are you still in the United States, specifically New York? So it, it, they became this sort of um, almost odd couple uh, viral sensation where people seemed a little fascinated by them.
0: So you can indeed get arrested for stealing crypto?
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, Bitfinex, the company that was stolen from, is not a U.S. corporation, but it was stolen from. So they were in receipt, basically, of stolen property. They controlled the, the private keys, which is basically the passwords for the accounts, one thing that isn't true, uh, you know, you hear like uh, you can trace all crypto, or uh, it's much more transparent, so it's hard to money launder stuff like that. There's some truth to that, but there are also ways in which this can be done. To be honest, I don't think these two were good enough criminals to be able to do it. Uh, they were they were doing things like trying to to convert into other currencies to move it around a bit. Um, to get gift cards to different stores, you know, sort of spending it any which way, but it barely ate into the, the huge amount they have. But if you're, you know, if you're a serious criminal or a Russian oligarch or the state of North Korea, yeah, there, there are ways to, to money launder via crypto. When it comes to being online, we live life on the Sending personal documents on questionable public Wi-Fi Rolling the dice with shady shopping sites And don't even pretend you've never clicked on a deal that's too good to be true Who hasn't? Luckily, there's TELUS Online Security All-in-one protection for your identity and devices To help you connect, browse, and bank with confidence Stay safer with TELUS Online Security, powered by Norton Learn more at telus.com slash online security No one can prevent all cybercrime or identity theft Conditions apply
0: This week on The Reheat Podcast, we're talking Rosie O'Donnell. She's usually correct about the message, but often wrong about the way she goes about arguing for her points and just how aggressive she is with her colleagues. Take it easy. You're on a talk show. It's fine. This is not a courtroom. Tune in
1: every Monday for new episodes of The Reheat, available on the Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Find your frequency. I want to step back for a second and get into who invests and why and and the get-rich-quick nature of it and whether or not that actually pans out. So maybe what's been driving over the past few years the money pouring into crypto and NFTs?
1: Right. So I think you need to look at about, at it from two angles about the money specifically. One, you have a lot of money pouring in from the side of venture capitalists and sort of institutional investors and lots of companies, especially that see money opportunities in NFT and metaverse type stuff or crypto. Um, so that money is there and you have billions of dollars worth of investment from VCs and things like that. But then if you dig under the hood a little bit, the actual retail money, which means everyday investors and traders, has been on the decline for the last year. I I think the trading volume is is down across the crypto exchanges. So in some ways, you have these opposing forces. The the money coming in that sort of peaked perhaps during the Super Bowl with all all the the celebrity-driven ads here in, in the U.S., um, was really a response to the fact that they need more people coming in the casino. And I do think gambling is the proper lens through which to view a lot of this. And just like gambling, you know, people were doing this during the early days of the pandemic, especially, uh, that, that's when you saw some of the peak action in the market because they wanted to make some money and because things were shut down and, Things are hard right now. Some people either had a little extra money in their pocket or they had enough that they're willing to risk it. Um, you know, there are not that many ways in which you can possibly make a little bit of money into a lot of money just by sitting at your computer or on your phone. So this was definitely sold to folks as, you know, basically risk free or at least not a form of gambling it was it's been sold to people as an investment some people even talk about it as a generational investment i mean now you can you can invest your your ira or your your retirement account in crypto so i think you have to look at the money and salesmanship on sort of the corporate side and then the money on the consumer side which was there and was driven by certain factors but i do think now is leaving
0: and this is what i want to get into cuz i'm not saying that this part of the investments are a scam uh, per se because they definitely don't meet the criteria of the stuff we've already talked about. But you mentioned gambling, which I think is a apt comparison, and and here in Ontario, Canada, where we're talking to you from, uh, sports gaming just became legal, and so what I see on my television right now is often uh, back-to-back commercials, one for sports betting and one for uh, some form of crypto, and the sports betting one will be filled with the caveats, right, like play responsible, know your limit, play within it, little helplines for uh, people who might be problem gamblers, and then the crypto commercial comes right after. And to me, has exactly the same principles behind it, but none of that, you know. Hey, just a heads up—you can lose your shirt, type thing.
1: Right. I love that comparison. I've I've thought about that too because here in the U.S., actually, we've had a broad legalization of sports gambling state by state, but uh, it, it became much more available in the last year. I live in New York. It was legalized, I believe, at the beginning of the year or sometime last year. So. Uh, and whenever I watch sports or on my phone, on on Twitter especially, all the ads I see pretty much are for crypto or sports gambling. And what you're getting at, I think, is something very important, which is disclosure. Disclosure is a standard uh, part of Investing, you know, usually when you when you buy a stock from a company, they there's mandatory disclosure. One, you know who you're buying it from. It's not just someone with an online handle or something like that. But there, there's information about the company, there are risk factors that are disclosed. Even with gambling or other potentially hazardous activities that may, might be legal, but people partake in you're right, there's often mandatory disclosure or warnings about what might happen. And that certainly, if you want to bring crypto into the light, I'd say, um, and make it uh, a safer activity for people and perhaps a a kind of more sustainable and respectable one, I think disclosure is somewhere to start. People need to know that there's risks and people need to know who they're dealing with and what the risks entail. But right now, honestly, I think that people are not just playing in a casino, they're playing in a rigged casino and they don't really know it. So in your piece for The New Republic, uh, one of your many pieces, y-
0: you called this the golden age
1: of fraud.
0: What do you mean by that? And how do you back it up?
1: Right. So I- I'm co-writing a book with uh, an actor and writer named Ben McKenzie. He he was on uh, The O.C. and Gotham and some other shows. And he-, he has become very fixated on this idea that I've also adopted uh, that we live in a sort of golden age of fraud. Now, other people have said this, too, uh, especially some uh, big short sellers uh, uh, in the stock market, But, you know, there's this idea that, one, we really lack criminal enforcement or even regulatory enforcement of financial crimes and white collar crimes and fraud in general in the United States, I'd say. I can't speak necessarily to the situation in Canada, but, you know, there's a sense of impunity, which I think you can point to also in the political arena, but, you know, that the people in power and the rich sort of get away with it. You know, you can even put wage theft in this category, which is a huge mm. problem in this country. People not getting yeah. paid the, the money they're earning. That's a form of fraud. But then you have, you know, all, all, I, unfortunately, I don't have uh, the sort of the FBI fraud statistics offhand or anything like that. But you have new technologies like social media make it, makes it a lot more easy to access victims Crypto makes it a lot more easy to get paid. Also, online payment services like PayPal and Venmo. Uh, Ransomware, for example, didn't really exist before crypto because crypto provides the means of payment for people to do ransomware. Before, if I basically ransomware your company and said, give me $5 million and I'll unlock all of your data and computers, I couldn't really meet you in a parking lot and go receive that money. But now, you know, I can have it sent to my Bulgarian hacker friend or whoever, uh, very easily through a difficult to trace cryptocurrency. So I I think it's this combination of forces of sort of legal impunity, new technological capabilities, and also, frankly, um, you know, a sense of desperation among a lot of people and a sense that it it could be easy to do some of this stuff and, and to not be punished for it at all.
0: In the world of crypto, how much of it has to do with how incredibly opaque and complicated and confusing for the average person to wrap their head around it, uh, the whole thing can be. And I say this as somebody who's tried to do episodes about crypto in the past and has struggled to keep the plot. And I'm not like I'm not a financial expert, but I'm also not unfamiliar with computers and the Internet and everything that goes into it.
1: Yeah, I think it's an issue from a couple angles. One, look, even if you're pro-crypto and want mass adoption, you want the product and technology to be somewhat intelligible to people. And I do think that's a barrier. Uh, One comparison I make is, is, you know... Uber and Facebook, for example, I I have many criticisms that I've written about them as companies, but their product or their offering is pretty clear, and you can explain it in a sentence to most people. Uh, That is not really possible with crypto, and that cuts a couple ways. One, it makes adoption uh, more difficult. It makes things more intimidating for folks. They may not understand how the markets work or how to protect themselves or even how to buy Bitcoin. Um, the other thing is, I think sometimes there is a deliberate mystification of the technology. People I talk to who aren't financially invested in the industry, but who are experienced computer scientists or technologists, they don't like the tech. People in crypto, you know, if you talk to a programmer in a crypto company, he might say, "Oh, blockchain is revolutionary," blah blah blah. The people again, the people I talk to who are technologically savvy. Uh, who are experts who don't have money on the line, they don't find the tech very impressive. And there, we can go down that road where, I, where I list off why blockchain technology actually isn't that new, how it's actually rather inefficient, how it doesn't work very well as a payments network. But, you know, that's sort of, that can be a real rabbit hole, I think, for people. And especially the partisans of, of crypto will sort of argue in, you into the ground and keep saying you don't understand the tech or you're not interpreting it right or you don't understand this new innovation. So, in a lot of ways, I think the tech is almost a sideshow. I, I try to say to people, think about or look at what crypto does and how it's used in the world and who benefits and basic factors like that. The technology matters to some folks, but you'll understand it best if you just look at how it acts in the world and not the mystified tech or the pro- the big utopian promises from the people behind it.
0: When you look at who invests in it and I don't know if there's any possible way to track this or if you're sort of going based on anecdotes or researchers you've talked to but in general, what percentage of the people "quote unquote" win in the crypto market, and what percentage lose? Like, if we're looking at this as a gambling proposition,
1: right? Uh, so, I couldn't give you an exact number, but I, I can tell you definitively that most crypto investors, especially most Bitcoin investors, are underwater because most people bought in with the last in the, within the last year. And the all-time high for the most important currencies, especially Bitcoin and Ethereum, the top two, were uh, in November, I believe. And the market's been declining ever since. So most people who bought in uh, are, are in the red in some way or maybe have already lost their money. Now, then what you hear from crypto people is, hey, they should have bought in earlier. Or they say, we're still early. Or change how you see the chart. Because if you look at Bitcoin over the last five years, it's actually a really good investment. You know, I don't think that's comforting to a lot of people who have lost money. And I also think it it points to the inherent instability and volatility is the important word, I think, of these currencies and these markets. So that, you know, people who happen to buy at the right time and sell at the right time, they might do well. But those stories are not as common as one might think. In in fact, also, people aren't just buying low and selling high. People are now increasingly buying derivatives or betting against the future price action of crypto. You know, there are a lot of sort of um, Wall Street type complicated financial instruments being created within cryptocurrency markets on exchanges, and especially in the realm of what's called DeFi or decentralized finance. So, this stuff gets very complicated and also sometimes with a lot of leverage and risk built in. And so I think that's another thing that people need to understand is that, um, you know, again, if you happen to buy and sell at the right times, you might you might manage to do okay, assuming you can then get your money out of the exchange, which isn't always a guarantee. But for most people, they're already in the red.
0: So that brings us to my last question, which ties back to what you mentioned at the beginning, which is do your own research, you know, for people who are genuinely interested uh, in crypto or NFTs, people who have some money Potentially to lose, that's not going to uh, impact them that much. And people who think they're responsible betters, think that they are not going to be the ones to fall for the obvious scams. What would you like them to know before they jump in?
1: Right. Well, I, I'm certainly, uh, as this interview shows, I think a, a critic of this stuff. And, you know, I think that's fine to. to raise issues you have with it. Uh, But I think, you know, anyone who goes in, if you do it, I don't think it should be illegal. I just think it should be highly regulated and and a fair market. But, um, you know, don't bet anything that you can't afford to lose is the number one. And know that if you do lose or if you do get scammed, it's probably not your fault. I've talked to people from every walk of life. I've talked to intelligence agents who, you know, just happen to dabble in crypto and got scammed, like people who you think are very savvy and would know better. Um, so just understand that you're going into a very difficult environment that is probably advertised as fa- as fairer and even an opportunity to strike it rich, but you know it's. There are people with better information. There are high frequency traders. There are people that own the exchanges. There are a lot of bad actors. So you, really it's like going and sitting down at a casino table and the world's best poker player might be across from you and also the lights could turn off at any time. Hmm. That that's really what's happening here. It's not just going to gamble in the casino. It's going to gamble in sort of one of the world's messiest casinos that uh you don't know if you'll be able to walk out with your money even if you do win.
0: Jacob, thank you so much for this. Usually I close by saying I understand the issue so much better now. Um, I'm going to not say that today and instead say I understand what I don't understand a little bit more. Well, that seems like a good start. Thanks again. Thank you. Jacob Silverman wrote about crypto in The New Republic, and I'm eager to read his book next year. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at the Big story FPN Talk to us via email, hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. And call us, leave us a voicemail. The number is 416-935-5935. Ask us a question, demand we cover your story. Just give us some compliments. Doesn't matter, say hi. You can find this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Pocket Cast, CastBox, etc. And while you're there, leave a rating, leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.
1: much of what you do online can be risky. Does that stop you from clicking on deals or connecting to public Wi-Fi? What about doing your tax return? Your personal information can be stolen and used to access your accounts or apply for credit in your name. Thankfully, there's a simple way to stay safer. Help protect yourself with TELUS Online Security, powered by Norton. It's Canada's most comprehensive all-in-one protection for your devices, online privacy, and identity. Learn more at telus.com slash online security. No one can prevent all cybercrime or identity theft. Conditions apply.